is always a time where we revisit important things in our lives. What if we started this year looking into how God could use us for His purposes? God invites us into what He's doing. How will you respond? Will you turn from His leading, or will you hit the ground running? Hey, good morning, Brookside. How are you today? Doing good? A little snow doesn't hurt you. Way to go. Good to see you. Hey, if you're a guest here with us today, my name is Jeff, one of the pastors here at Brookside, and yeah, just really excited to, uh, to be together this morning and, and to worship in this place. Hey, I want to give you just a quick update this morning on our Elkhorn campus and just some of the progress that's coming along uh, with that, and we'll continue to give you updates, but wanted to give you just a quick one this morning on a couple things that are new that we know now. Um, number one, uh, we've completed our due diligence process, and so that's when we get contractors in there and really look at the structure and all the different things with the building. And I just want to let you know, nothing alarming structurally came out of that process, so that allows us to continue to move forward, which is great news. Um, secondly, uh, we're currently waiting for our site survey, and we look to have that in hand pretty soon, hopefully even this week, and then if all that comes back good, and, um, and that'll allow us then to take the next step and move really toward a closing date. And so just wanted to give you, a, again, just a quick update on that. Um, I also just want to say this to you. Uh, it's been so encouraging since we voted on December 16th as a membership uh, to approve the purchase of uh, that facility in Elkhorn. Uh, it's been so encouraging. So many of you have uh, emailed me or stopped me in the hallway or stopped our staff in the hallway and said, hey, we live out in that area. Thank you. Um, we're so excited because we have friends that don't live far from that campus or we have coworkers. We know people out there. And um, that's just exciting because I, and I want to keep driving us back to this. That's why we want to, to do this. That's why we want to continue to see the gospel expand. It really comes down to people. You know, there's a number that we, we bring before our staff often in, in our church. And, and it's that number 675,000. Uh, because we know this, in the Omaha metro area, conservatively even, uh, conservatively, they're very likely to be over 675,000 people that don't know the God who loves them and created them. And so for us to have the opportunity as a church to continue to say, Lord, you've given us so much, how can we be a church that we take new ground so that more and more people can sit in a room like this and can hear about a God that knows them and loves them? How can we be a part of that? And so I just want to say thank you for being the kind of church that you, you embody that value. Um, all people matter to God, and so Lord, we want to be a vital part of what you're doing. So we're going to keep you uh, posted, but I would ask you this morning, uh, keep praying. And uh, just keep anticipating great things, and, and we'll just see what God continues to do in the doors that he opens for us. Well, as Rob said, exciting morning for us. In addition to being in Jonah chapter uh, 3 this morning, part 3 of our series through the book of Jonah, we've also got our group link event. And uh, we look forward to doing this event. We do it uh, about twice a year. And the reason why we do it and the reason why we get so excited about it is because it's a way for us to get a whole lot of people into small groups on one weekend. Um, we hope to get about 150 people into small groups this weekend. That's our goal. And the reason why we want to do that is because when we get to see people connected in a smaller context, not a big room like this, but in a smaller context, we hear this time and time again. That's where life change really happens and where relationships are formed. And those relationships can be such game changers in the lives of people. You know, I remember when God got a hold of my life in college and after a, a college service, something kind of like this, they dismissed, and we went into sort of a group link, kind of what we're going to do here today at, toward the end of our service. And, um, and I remember I was so apprehensive to get into a small group. 
but the people that had led me to Christ and everything were like, you got to get in a small group. And so they kept encouraging me along the way. And so I remember very awkwardly, I walked up to this leader and he had something identifying him on his, you know, a lanyard or something. And I said, hey, I'm Jeff. And we made some small talk. And, and he said, well, will you come to the group? It's on Thursday night. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And, uh, and I remember I, I very apprehensively showed up at his apartment, and I sat with this group of guys, my very first small group. And I remember the, the impact that that group had on my life. Some of the things that I learned in that group are still impacting my spiritual journey today. And so I can't encourage you enough. Would you please get in a small group? You know, for Christina and I, these last 18 years, we've said, hey, we're either going to be in a, in a couple small group, leading a couple small group, or we're going to be in, in individual small groups. Uh, because we value them, and, and it is a sacrifice of time. Uh, it really is, and your time's valuable, but we really feel like it's important to us. You know, our group met on Thursday night and this last week, and there's just something about it, being known and cared for, and being uh, encouraging each other on the spiritual journey. It's, it's just a powerful thing, and so I just want to continue to encourage you. We'll have all kinds of groups available to you today. We'll have men's groups, we'll have women's groups, we'll have couples groups, um, if you're a guy, there's a brand new group. If you've never been in a small group, there's a brand new group called 33. Um, it's a shorter term group. I would encourage you guys to check that one out. Um, but just see what God might do. And we'll, again, we'll be talking about that more as, as we wrap up the service today. But just a great opportunity that uh, we sure don't want you to miss. Well, hey, if you would now go ahead and turn, if you got a Bible, to the Old Testament book of Jonah. We'll go ahead and we'll get started. We'll dive in. Um, it's kind of a hard one to find toward the end of the Old Testament. Um, no shame in going to the table of contents if you need help finding it. Let me also say this. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. We want to do everything we can to make this book, God's Word, as accessible to you as we possibly can. And so if you just go to anybody in a blue shirt or out into our um, guest area in our lower lobby and just say, hey, I'm, I'm here for that free Bible, they'll gladly um, put one in your hands. And, and here's why we do that. Here's why we want to make it so accessible. What we do here week in and week out is this. We, we go before the Lord and we just say, okay, Lord, thank you that you speak to us. And so, Lord, we're going to teach out of your word. And then we're going to ask you, Lord, what do you want us to hear that's going to help us in the next week? How do you want to mold us? How do you want to shape us? What do you want our lives to be about, particularly in the things that matter the most? And so that's what we do week in and week out. So that's why we, we'd love to get that into your hands. Well, let me just say this before we start. Um, as we've gone through this series and I ho I've hoped that you've enjoyed the book of Jonah, I know, as much as I have. What I've seen, and, and the thing that's just really stuck out to me as we've gone through it, is the clarity around the gospel that we've seen in the book of Jonah. We've seen this time and time again. We've seen sin and blatant disobedience to God gets met with, comes face to face with the grace of God, with the goodness of God. We've seen Jonah be disobedient to God. We've seen situations where you and I would be very quick just to wash our hands and say, Lord, I don't, we don't know why you would extend grace. Punishment is what's deserved there. A situation where we might say, God, you are God. Why are you acting the way that you are? But even in those situations, again, this is the gospel. It's when uh, sin and disobedience gets met with grace. And goodness, and we've seen it time and time again in this book. We see, hey, this is a better path. This is a better direction. And what I love is that we look at this book and we go, okay, that applies to my life. Uh, that's helpful to me, particularly in the relationships that I have. You know, this morning, you're going to see it again. We are going to get a picture into the character of God that really impacts every area of our life, but particularly our relationships. And this window into the character of God that you'll see in Jonah chapter 3, it is priceless. It's one of those that you go, okay, Lord, would you allow this to shape me? 
So this morning, I want to drive you to one particular question, and it's this. It's have you ever had a situation in your life where you needed a second chance? You're going to see that in chapter 3. But have you ever had a, a, a situation in your life where you needed a second chance? In golf, they call that a mulligan, right? You needed a second shot. Have you ever said something that you wish you could retract? Have you ever been caught in a sin? You were confronted, and wow, you needed a second chance. Have you ever said something that you wish you could just, you know, get those words back? Have you ever been in that situation where you needed a second chance? You needed forgiveness. You needed grace extended to you. I had one yesterday at home. So humbling. I was such a jerk. You ever had one of those days where you're like, Jesus, I just pray you'd come back so I can get out of this funk. You ever had that happen? I needed grace. I had to apologize a couple times. Um, have you ever had those situations? If you haven't, just ask the person next to you uh, because they might say, oh, you need a second chance right now, you know? But we, we all need them, right? I mean, we all get in those situations. But one of the things I want to point out early on this morning is this. Sometimes when we get into those situations where we need a second chance, we don't feel like, one, we deserve one, or two, we don't feel like it's accessible to us. For some of us, we go down that road so far that we say, you know what, my best days are not ahead of me, they're in the rearview mirror. The, the, the greatest chapters that God was going to write in my life are now over because I've struggled in this way, I've blown it in this way. And God would say, no, 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 not at all. And what you're going to see this morning is this, that we can get our hearts in a posture where we're ready for God to write a beautiful story for us going forward. That, those times when you feel stuck or overwhelmed, where you just feel like, Lord, I don't know that I'm worthy of the second chance, know this, God wants to lead you. He wants to lead me to write a new story. Your end is God's beginning. Your end, when you realize, okay, God, I need your grace, and you're going to see that happen in, with two different groups in, in chapter 3. Lord, your end is my beginning. That's what I hope you'll pull out of this morning. So I'm going to read our text. Actually, why don't you stand with me now just out of respect for God's word. We'll read it through, then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to talk about, hey, what does this mean for us today? Jonah chapter 3, start in verse 1. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God and a fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Pray with me. Lord, we just come before you now. And Father, I thank you that you know every person here, you know every situation that we come in with today. And Father, I thank you that you meet us with grace today. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see, Lord, that you bring hope to the hopeless. 
Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see, Lord, that maybe the person that feels sidelined today because of decisions that they've made, I pray that you would help them to see, Lord, that you draw them right back into the game. Lord, I pray that we would walk out of here today and we would understand with clarity, Lord, you do, appro- you do oppose the proud. Oh, but your grace is so good to the humble. And so, Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now. Church, would you even just on your own, just in your own mind and heart, would you just say, Lord, I've come, and Lord, now I say, would you speak to me in these moments? Just say that to the Lord. Lord, would you speak to me now? Lord, thank you that you honor a prayer like that, and so we give you this great invitation, Lord. Speak to us now, we pray. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, let's dive in. Let's get to work. Jonah's second chance, you're going to see, it comes right away in this text. Look with me at verse 1. It says, then the word of the Lord. So here it is. God is speaking to Jonah. God has a word for Jonah. Now we know this, and I think it's important to remind us, who is Jonah? We know from 2 Kings chapter 14, we learn a little bit about who Jonah is. At this time, Jonah is a prophet of God. So he's in the eyes of the Israelites, he's an esteemed guy. He's a religious guy. And he's a prophet of God because he's earned the right to be a prophet of God, which means this. God has spoken to him. He's told the people what God has said, and those things have happened. That makes you a true prophet. That's him. And so, in, in essence, you can think of him as a, a spiritual leader, a guy that had respect in, in that day. He's in the time of King uh, Jeroboam, which it was a prosperous time for Israel. And so that's Jonah. You can think of him kind of as the Billy Graham of the day. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Say those last three words with me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Second, now you came through the snow today. You got more enthusiasm in you. I know you do. Here we go. Let's say it a little powerfully. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Yeah, thank you. That's Brookside. That's good. Yeah. This is the display right away of the patience of God. The patience of God is on display right here. I'm not giving up on you, Jonah. I'm speaking to you. I'm coming to you. I'm giving you a second chance. If you remember what he did the first time, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And not only did Jonah say, hey, I I don't really want to do that. But Jonah said, I'm going to do the exact opposite. The Lord said, hey, I want you to go to Nineveh. He said, great, I'll go to Tarshish. Tarshish is in Spain, 1,500 miles from Nineveh. What he was saying was, Lord, not only am I giving you the hand, but I'm going to go as far away from what you're telling me as I possibly can. But in the midst of that, what happens? God brings a storm. You got the fish. And, and, and the underlying theme is this. God is saying, hey, Jonah, I care about you enough that I could go about reaching the people of Nineveh without you, but I care about you enough that, hey, I, I, I'm also concerned about your heart. And so he humbles Jonah. That's chapter 2. He provides the storm. And now Jonah's in this place where he's ready for a second chance. Have you ever had that feeling where you're humbled and you realize, now I'm ready? Now I'm ready to stop, step into the next chapter that God would write for my life because my heart's right. You ever had that experience? That's where Jonah's at. Verse 2. Jonah, God's speaking to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Verse 3, so Jonah, it says, obeyed the word of the Lord. Now again, he disobeyed the first time, and I don't know if you've had this experience. Have you ever, you ever, Lord, you feel like he's nudged you to do something and you've done the exact opposite of it? That's what Jonah did. But isn't it true that this is what happens when we do that? It not only impacts us, 
but it impacts those around us. It greatly impacted those who were around Jonah. And so he's learned from that. No, he's in a better place. His heart's right. So it says Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and this time he went to Nineveh. And now it says, now Nineveh was a large city. It took three days to go through it. Now, just to remind you a little bit about Nineveh. This place, and I think it's, it's important to understand, what is the Lord asking Jonah to do? Because when you understand that, you get a very clear window into the depth of the mercy of God. Nineveh is a great city. It's, great, it's called a great city because it was large. The circumference of the city, we said in week one of this series, 60 miles around this city. And around the city was this huge wall. 100 feet tall, but not just a tall wall, a very wide wall. You could fit three chariots side by side that could cruise around this wall. So 60 miles of a 100-foot wall, but even beyond that, there were 1,500. I'm trying to imagine this. There were 1,500 towers that stood two, not 100, but 200 feet tall. So this place is very, very impressive. Historians say that it took 140 myriads of men to build the city over the course of eight uh, over the course of eight years now a myriad is ten thousand men so that's one million four hundred and thousand four hundred thousand people just to build the city just in the construction of it but not only is Nineveh large Nineveh was known for their being cruel they were known for for being a uh, they, they were even referred to as a terrorist state Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. The Assyrians were some of the most violent people of the ancient times. Their forms of torture, the way that they would treat their prisoners, it's really unthinkable. They would skin them alive. They would put the skins of their, of their bodies then over the city wall as a way just to proclaim, hey, don't mess with us. And if you do, this is what Assyria will do to you. They love to communicate that message. The way that they treated women is unthinkable. So this request, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Even the second time, we have to understand, church, this is absurd. This would have not landed well in his heart. Not only do these people not worship Jonah's God, but they savagely killed the Israelite people. Now, I don't know if you remember this from, from the previous couple weeks in this series, but Jonah isn't afraid to go to Nineveh because he's afraid that God won't be able to do great things there. Remember, Jonah's a proven prophet of God. So Jonah has seen God do amazing things. And so it wasn't as though he was afraid to go to Nineveh because he was afraid, hey, God, can you really act? Can you really do something with such a wicked people? That wasn't the problem for Jonah. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that God might have mercy on a wicked people, and Jonah hated them. Jonah hated them. Jonah looked at his own life, and he was pretty self-righteous, I think. Probably it's pretty, I think we can gather that from the text. And he said, hey, I don't want the mercy of God to come on these people. I don't want them to have a second chance. I don't want them to experience what it means for them to be humbled, but then to come to maybe know the God that would have mercy on them. But when Jonah ran from that, again, God didn't wash his hands. And God doesn't wash his hands of you. You maybe have written off some people in your life, or maybe you would say, wow, I need a second chance in this area of my life, but my heart's pretty hard. Know this, God doesn't wash his hands of you. You're here today. That's a big deal. So Jonah, what did he do? He comes to the end of himself, and he 
finds in the end of himself. That's the starting place for the activity of God in his life. That's true of us here today as well. In chapter 2, then, he cries out. He says this. He says, so this is him kind of coming to the bottom, the end of Jonah. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose up to you, to your holy temple. But I, he says, with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. So where I I said before, I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk about the salvation that the Lord could bring. He's saying, now salvation comes from the Lord. Isn't it true, though, that in order to receive the second chance, you first have to realize that you need it? That's what just happened in chapter 2. Jonah gets to this place where he goes, okay, I need to proclaim the goodness of God because now I've been woken up. I realize that God's goodness has come to me. It's it's painful to be humbled. I don't like to be humbled. But isn't it good? Isn't it good? Have you ever noticed that when you come to the end of yourself, that that's when then God actually allows you to step into the, the greatest story, the greatest chapters for your life? It's when you approach him with humility and you say, okay, God, free me of the areas where I'm just too proud. I'm too self-reliant. Jonah's in that spot. Verse 4 says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, and he's proclaiming, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. In other words, Nineveh, I want you to know judgment is coming to you, just judgment. Judgment that you and I don't look at and go, whoa, God's just crazy on that. No, we look at that and go, that's just They deserve that judgment. Ezekiel chapter 18, though, says it like this. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. Again, it's the gospel that that God doesn't just wash his hands of a wicked people. Because here's the truth. In my heart, before Jesus Christ, I am just as wicked as the, the Ninevites. And so are you. And what God is saying here is this. Hey, I don't wash my hands of them. And again, it's the picture of the gospel. I'm giving them a second chance. I want the word of repentance to come to them. I want them to know. How do they come to know the God that Jonah knows? Notice this, though, too. Notice the length of Jonah's message to them. Don't you wish all sermons could be this long? Don't get your hopes up. All right, look at this. Eight words in the English language. That's it. Eight words. Five words in the Hebrew. That's all they heard, five words. Good morning, Brookside. How are you? Done. Have a great weekend, right? Rob would have to say that last part, right? I mean, think about that. But look at how God uses it. Look at what these people do. Verse 5, it says that the Ninevites, what did they do? They believed God. A fast was proclaimed in all of them, from the greatest to the least. They put on sackcloth. Look at their response They fasted, which is a way of saying, hey, we're going to say no to something that we want in order to get something that we need. We need God. So they fasted, and they mourned, and and they they felt bad for their sin. They realized their wickedness. You know, when one person comes to know Christ, we say that they've had a conversion experience. But when a whole city comes to know Christ, when a large group of people, we say, oh, that's bigger, that's different. There's a word for that. It's called a revival That's what's happening here. But don't miss this. Who is the one behind all the people coming to God? Who is it? It's not Jonah. Jonah does not give a compelling sermon with three great points. 
He doesn't give any funny illustrations, no powerful tear-jerking videos, nothing like that. Instead, he just says it so plainly. And notice what happens. It's God that draws these people to himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 makes it so clear that you and I are reconciled to God, not by anything that we do, but by God himself. And I mean, that's why, everybody, when, when we sing these songs on a Sunday morning and those lyrics point us to God and who he is and what he's done for us, the reason why we sing those with enthusiasm is because we're reminded God reconciled me. Apart from anything, apart from uh, the messenger, apart from anything I deserve, God reconciled me. It causes gratitude in our hearts. Think about this. I mean, Brookside, as we seek to take the gospel to other parts of, of our city, we have to remember this. God is not dependent on us. He is not dependent on us. Psalm 127 puts it well. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, its labors, what do they do? They labor in vain. And so it drives us to, to knowing, hey, the greatest thing that we can do is we seek to take the gospel to other parts of our city to be responsible for with, with what God has given to us. We're reminded the greatest thing that we can do is get down on our knees and say, oh God, we seek you to do what only you can do. And then, Lord, if you would let us be a part, oh, what a privilege. That's what's happening to Jonah. Look at him here, though. Jonah's being obedient now, but I think it's pretty clear. I bet he has a pretty crappy attitude, to be honest. But look at how God works through him. And it, I think it makes us also ask this question. Is there any person in my life that God wants me to be a Jonah to? I mean, is there any per person in my life that, that God is ready to do the work? God is ready to bring this very large city to, to come to know him. But who, who's the tipping point? It's Jonah. Is there anybody that God would say, hey, I've got their heart ready. Would you just say the right words? Would you just love them? Would you just extend that invitation? Is there anybody that God would say, Jeff, be the Jonah to them or to you? Verse 6, look at this. It says, when Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Who are some of the most proud people in the world? Go ahead, think about it. Who? Men. No one's going to send me an email this week and say, ah, I think you're wrong on that. Mm -mm. Think about it. Look at what's happening here, particularly men of influence and men of authority. But look at what's happening. The king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, he took off his royal robes, he covered himself in sackcloth, I bet he didn't even have any sackcloth, whatever that is, and he tried to borrow some, he sat down in dust, it says, verse 7, this is the proclamation then that he issued to Nineveh, look at this, by the decree of the king and his nobles. So he had to go into his cabinet and say, hey, uh, look, judgment's coming on us, we need to repent. I know we don't see, you know, our party lines are pretty messy and all of this stuff, but we need to come together. I mean, imagine this. This is huge. They're humbled. They know that judgment's coming by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let the people or the animals, the herds or the flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call on God urgently. Try to picture this for a minute. Even the animals are a part of this. It's this declaration. I wish my dog would repent, you know? But think about this. What he's saying is everybody, 
We're going to put sackcloth on the animals. The whole land is going to proclaim, God, we have wronged you. We have been wicked. And Lord, we repent and we want to turn to you. Imagine this. What a powerful scene. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever noticed, though, that sometimes when you say you're sorry, sometimes you can say you're sorry, but you really don't mean it? Have you ever done that? Sometimes you say you're sorry and you just don't mean it. Other times you say you're sorry, I see this in our own home, and you mean it, and when you really mean it, you step into the opportunity to have a second chance. I see this happen in our house. We have this little practice. If somebody wrongs somebody else in our house, they have to say this. They go to the person that they've offended and they say, I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? But sometimes the person that has wronged the other person isn't quite ready. They don't quite mean that. And so they'll say it more like this. I'm sorry, would you please forgive me? And what they're saying is this. I'm not sorry, and you don't need to forgive me because I didn't do anything wrong. But sometimes, and this had to be me yesterday, unfortunately, I had to go to the family and I had to say, I'm sorry, I've been acting like a jerk today. Would you please forgive me? There's a difference, isn't there? That's a heart posture. Know this, that's what's happening in this passage. Their hearts are ready. The land, think about what this must have been like. The whole land, all the people, they've taken it to the animals. They're proclaiming, Lord, we are ready. The second, verse, uh, the second part of verse 8, the king, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And then he says, who knows? Who knows? Kind of like, hey, let's give this a shot. We're about to be toast. Who knows? God may relent and, and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And then verse 10 is so beautiful. It says, when God saw that they, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, it says he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. You know, when I'm upset with our kids, as soon as I see a break in their heart, um, as soon as like there's like this aha moment for them, oh yeah, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Do you know what me as an imperfect father feels? In that moment, as soon as the heart turns, as an imperfect father, I go, oh, I mean, I want to extend grace because the heart has been changed. See the magnitude of the grace of God in this passage, church. Don't miss this. See the magnitude of what's happening here. God is extending grace to an entire society. You talk about motivation for us to live for our city. This is huge. You know, as a church, sometimes I, I wonder if we're asking God for enough. We look at Elkhorn, we look at DCC, and we say, Lord, we want to take the gospels to those areas. But I wonder sometimes, you look at a passage like this, and you go, wow, in a moment, God can bring revival to thousands and thousands of people. And I wonder, Jeff, are you praying big enough prayers? Church, are we praying big enough prayers? Are we looking at our own city and saying, God, we desperately want to be a part of you doing what you did in Nineveh right here in our own city. That God is doing that. This is, this is miraculous what's happening. You know, you, if you think about the people throughout the Bible that you admire, so if you're a church person, if you know the Bible a little bit, think right now, who in the Bible do you admire? Who do you admire? Second question, why do you admire them? And what got them to the place of them being, in your eyes, admirable? Oftentimes, you know what it was? It was the second chance. 
Their being admirable in my eyes and in your eyes is the fact that God extended grace to them. Think of a guy like David. David was a man who was caught in an affair, an affair that led to a murder. I mean, his hands were bloody in that. Yet, he, yet later in, that, in, in the scriptures, he, the Lord says of David, well, David, you're actually a man after my own heart. And then David will go on to pen all of these psalms that you and I look to, and they create for us a window into who our God is. That was a guy that needed a second chance. Uh, think of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, for a long time in his life, looked a whole lot more like a Ninevite than he did like a Christian. Yet God gets a hold of his life, and, and all of a sudden the Apostle Paul becomes the guy that writes 13 of the 27 New Testament books that we have. Think about that. That came because of a second chance. Think about Peter, denies Jesus three times, and then he doubts him all over the place before that. But what does Jesus do? Jesus lovingly, second chance, third chance, here we go, keep going, I give you my grace, and know this, and I hope you'll take this out of this morning more than anything else. Here it is, the posture of the heart, when it gets humbled, it allows you and I to ste step into the second chance. It allows us to say, okay, God, uh, I've wronged you. And for some of you, you'd say, I've wronged God with my entire life. I've never submitted my life to Jesus Christ. I never have. And so for you this morning, you might look at the story of the Ninevites and you might go, okay, this is helpful to me because I look at their story and I know this is what it means for me to repent. It means that I humble myself and I say, God, you are God. And I've been acting like I'm God, but I'm not. And so I repent. For others of you this morning, Maybe for you, the second chance that God wants to drive home is this. You might be more like Jonah, and you are holding someone in your life captive. You refuse to forgive. You refuse to extend grace. And maybe the Lord is more saying to you this morning, I want you to be like Jonah. When Jonah got humbled and he said, okay, I will proclaim salvation, and the Lord might say to you, I want you to proclaim grace and forgiveness. For some of you, you have some good boundaries in your lives. I'm not saying you, you th throw those aside, no, no, and, and step into unhealth. I'm not saying any of that. But you know what I mean. Maybe there's a name even that comes to mind where you're like, you know what? I need to forgive. I need to give them grace. And so I want to pray for us now, and I really want to pray with those two groups in mind. Maybe it's the group this morning where you say, I need to receive God's grace because my heart is truly in a place of repentance. I know either it's my entire life I've never submitted to the leadership of Christ or I've got one area of my life where I'm good giving God all of this, but that, no, God, no, and I just won't, but it grips my heart and it affects those around me just like Jonathan did. My prayer for you this morning is that you would get to that place where you'd say, yes, it's true. God, who writes the best chapters of our lives, does oppose the proud. But, oh, he gives grace to the humble. And so might we step into that. So yeah, would you, would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of Jonah. And Father, I pray for the person that's here this morning that they would say this. They would say, when it comes to the things of God, I have been a hard-hearted person, hard-hearted man or woman or student. And they would say, Lord, I've not submitted to your leadership. And so this morning, I want to be like a Ninevite, and I want to say, okay, I repent. I put on, I put on repentance. And so I say, Lord, would you forgive me? I want to step into the things, the grace that I don't deserve, but you freely give. And then, Lord, for the person that's here that would simply say this, 
I need to be like Jonah in this passage. I need to proclaim your goodness. I need to let somebody off the hook. I need to give someone the second chance because I've been reminded this morning that, God, you gave me one out of your goodness and your grace to me. And then, Lord, as a church, we pray, Lord, would we see our city like Nineveh? Lord, would we pray big prayers? Lord, would we lean in and say, God, what only you could do, that's what we want to be a part of. So, Lord, we love you, and we pray in your name. Amen and amen.